Amen. God, we so need you every hour. Oh, Jesus, our Lord and King God, it is because of you we are alive and breathing. God, you give these dry bones life, Lord God. It is because of your spirit working inside of us, God, that we are here today praising your name. It is your work, Jesus. Oh, God, continue to lead and guide us the way that you want us to go, God. Your will be done in our life. Oh, Lord, will you open the scriptures today, God, and illuminate your word, God, that my brothers and sisters and myself are just edified and encouraged to go forward in your name, stronger in your power, Lord Jesus. Teach us the importance of forgiveness, Lord God. Oh, Lord, reign in our spirit. Reign by your word, God. Oh, Lord, we praise you with the angels and the seraphim that are praising you right now. With all of the heavenly hosts of heaven that are praising you nonstop, saying, holy, holy, holy. Oh, God, we praise you. Praise you, mighty God. It's because of you we stand here today. Thank you for having mercy on us. Thank you for seeing us in the mud and coming and giving us new life, giving us true bread from heaven. Thank you for giving us true drink. You're good to us, Lord. Thank you for your word. Thank you for hearing my prayer throughout the week. Oh, Lord God, illuminate your scripture, Lord. Amen. All right, my brothers and sisters. So we're continuing our study, the Sermon on the Mount. We're continuing our our, uh, specific study on the model prayer, which is known as the Lord's Prayer amongst most people. And last week we looked at give us this day our daily bread. Remember that? We looked at give us this day our daily bread. We asked God to give us our substance, what we need. We asked for bread so that we can carry on his will, carry out his purpose to hallow his name in the world that his kingdom come. We asked for Jesus, the true bread of heaven, to feed us, to feed our soul, to make us alive, to Give us an appetite for him and his glory. We want that bread. And so we are desiring Jesus teaching us, his disciples, to desire God to give you that bread. The Father, give us bread that we may know Christ more. And so today we're going to move to the next petition. Really, it's it's one because there's an and in here, but you can split it up into three separate petitions. And so we're going to look at the next one. The next petition that Jesus teaches us, his disciples, to pray, to ask for, to desire. And so that is Matthew 6. I don't think I gave the verse to some of the visitors. But verse 12. We're also going to hit 14 and 15. Matthew 6, verse 12. I'm coming out the NASB. So if you have a different translation to me, read a little bit different. Okay, so Matthew 6, verse 12, and it reads, matter of fact, you know what I'm going to do? We haven't done this in a while. Let's just go back at the top, verse 9, and we'll come down. The text reads, pray then in this way, our Father who is in heaven. Remember, that's who we're praying to, our Father. Remember, he's in heaven. We are on earth. Hallowed be your name. That's our first petition. Remember that. Hallowed be thy name. We want God's name to be set apart in all the earth. That is our desire. We're praying that. <coughs> thy your kingdom come. So we're desiring that his kingdom comes in its fullness, its completeness. God is our king. We submit to our king, our ruler. 
We're praying that his will be done, his will as he reveals it to us, his will as revealed in scripture, that his will be done on earth as it is in heaven, because we know in heaven his will is perfectly done. The angels are not crying and saying, God, I don't want to do this or that. They are fully committed to God's will. They're doing his will. So he's teaching us to pray that that same thing happens here on earth, where we want to do God's will, where God's will is being done. His name is being hallowed in the earth. Then 11, give us this day our daily bread. We discussed that one a little bit ago. And 12, our text and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Let's just keep going. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Let's do 14 and 15. For if you forgive others, if you forgive others for their transgression, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others, then your Father would not forgive your transgressions. So today we're talking about the tough topic of forgiveness, forgiveness. Jesus is teaching us about forgiveness. Now, as we looked at this text, as we just looked at this prayer and we understand what God wants of us, he wants us to pray for his kingdom come, that his name be hallowed, uh, that his will be done. And we know as we live this life, even though he, he gives us the bread to do that, but we know that as we live this life trying to uh, carry out his will, um, trying to hollow his name, bring his kingdom come, we know that there will be stumbling, right? We know that we will fall. When I say stumble, I mean that we will sin. In our quest to hollow his name, we will end up hollowing our name. In our quest to bring his kingdom come, we will care about our own kingdom more than his. I feel it. I'm sure you feel it in those days where you like, I don't want to do this, God. I want to do my will. I don't want to do your will. That's too tough. I want to stay in this bed. I want to stay doing what I'm doing. I want to do my hobbies. I want to do all of those things. I don't want to do your will right now. We, we know as we live in this life, because we have this flesh, we know we have a spiritual enemy that wants to tempt us. We, we sometimes do then stumble. We sometimes do then stumble. We don't always do God's will. There is stumbling. And so Jesus addresses that stumbling. He addresses that sin that occurs when we go to try to do God's will, but we end up doing our will. And in this text today, he, he calls it our debts. He says, forgive us our debts. Now, if you notice in the same prayer in Luke, which is another account in Luke chapter 11, if you want to go there with me. In Luke 11. Where Jesus is uh, instructing his disciples on how to pray, he says it a little bit different here. So if you look at Luke 11, verse 4, he says, Forgive us our sins, for we also, for ourselves, I'm sorry, for we ourselves also forgive everyone who is indebted to us. Now you notice in Luke, he uses the word sin. He says, forgive us our sin. But back in our main text, Matthew 6, 12, he doesn't use the word sin. He uses the word debts. He uses the word debts. And it is said by most commentary that Matthew is writing to a Jewish audience. In the Aramaic language, the word for sin was the word hoba. I may be pronouncing this wrong. I don't speak Aramaic. So it was hoba. And that, that was debt. 
That was the word debt. And so the Jews understood debt to equate to sin. So that's why we have Matthew here. He's using the word debt. And, and the Jews seen the word debt as sin because they said that when you go against God's word, you're not giving God his due. When, you, when you're not carrying out his purposes, when you're doing your own purposes, you're not giving God his due. So there's a debt owed there. So they called sin a debt. That's why we have debt here. We're not giving God his due. We're not keeping his word. We're not pursuing his will. We're not doing the things he called for us in scripture. That's, that is something we should do. We should be obedient. And when we're not doing that, a debt has incurred. And so they have here, Matthew says, Forgive us our debts because we have debts as we try to go and carry out God's will. But you notice in this text, he doesn't just say forgive us our debts, but he says forgive us our debts as we are, as we also have forgiven our debtors. He says forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. What does that mean? What this voice, what this verse points out to is that people made in the image of God, there's a certain due that is due to them. All people of all nations, all people made in the image of God are due respect. All people made in the image of God are due, uh, fairness. All people are, that are made in the image of God are, are to be treated well. And when we don't treat people how they ought to be because they are made in the image of God, a debt has incurred. We are not giving people what they do. See, all people deserve their due. All people deserve respect. Whether that's male or female, whether that's people that's from a different ethnicity, whether it's people from a different culture, whether it's someone who is gay or straight, whether it's someone who is out there on the street, whether it's a woman out there selling her body on the street, whether it's a young dude walking around with his pants sagging, whether it's an immigrant from another country, every person made in the Imago day, every person made in the image of God is due some type of respect. Uh, fairness, they are due justice, they are due uh, uh, equity, if you will. Why? Because these are people that are made in the image of God. And when we don't give people their due, their respect, that, that their fairness, that treated, a debt has incurred. A debt has incurred in God's children. Amen. And we know that in the society... When someone has not given us our due, that respect that we feel that we are owed, that respect that we are owed because we are children of God, what often happens? When people don't give us our due, people often get angry, right? We get angry when they didn't give us our due, when somebody disrespected us, when we they didn't treat us the way that we feel we should be treated. We get mad, we get angry. You disrespect a man, not only is he going to get mad at you, but he may punch you in the face. And depending where you go in certain cities, not only will he get mad at you, want to punch you in the face, he may actually shoot you and do other harmful things to you. Why? Because you are not giving him his due, his respect, his fairness, his treatment. And we see historically in our society, when people have generally not been given their due, People have engaged in something called civil disobedience, right? Where people go and protest. That's what we had in the 60s and the 70s, where you had many from the African-American community protesting because they weren't being treated as human. They wanted their due. They wanted their fairness. 
But that's not always the way people go. People don't always do the nonviolent protest. We often do the most violent things when people don't give us our due. They don't give us our due. We don't give them their due. We go and we curse them out because they cursed us out. Or we get vindictive in our ways. We be, why? Because we feel disrespected. We get combative. We, we do all of these things. Why? Because they have not been given us our due, our respect, what we are due us. They're, they're debtors. But what Jesus does here in this teaches to combat that natural feeling of wrath or indignation that boils up inside of us when people don't give us our due as humans, as people made in the image of God. Jesus goes and he used the, he uses God as leverage, if you will, to change his disciples heart when that debtor does something to him that he feels that is not right. He shows them, he, 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 he equates disciples' rightness with God and how they treat others. He, he equates the vertical relationship with God. Um, he equates it with their horizontal relationship with other people. See, Jesus here in this verse, he teaches his disciples that if I have forgiven my debtors and those who have treated me wrong, then you, God, I want you to forgive me in the same way. If if I have done this, God, if I've forgiven my debtors and how they have treated me, then God, please, will you forgive me in the same way? See, see, Pastor Ray Pritchett, he says this, this interesting thing as he's reflecting on this topic. He's, he's quoting Augustine and he says this about this prayer. He says, if you pray, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors while refusing to forgive those who have wronged you, this prayer which is meant to be a blessing, becomes a self-inflicted curse. In that case, you are really saying, Oh God, since I have not forgiven my brother, please do not forgive me. You see what he's saying here? That's what Jesus is pointing out to us here. That if people have transgressed us, and if we won't forgive them, then how are we going to come to God asking God for forgiveness? And if we're saying, God, to forgive me in the way that I have forgiven them and I don't forgive, then you are saying, like he says here in this text, God, treat me as I just treated my brother. So he is showing us that the vertical relationship between God affects our horizontal relationship between one another. Now, as we look at that text, I kind of just want to take this head on. Let's address the elephant in the room. Because there should be an elephant in the room when you read this text. When you read, forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. And hold a huge elephant. What is he called? The the Barnum and Bailey? The Barnum and Bailey circus should be strolling through your mind when I say this verse. When I say, forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven others. The the thought that maybe some of you are thinking when when we read that text is, wait, but hold on. Didn't Jesus Christ already die on the cross for our sins? Didn't he already forgive us our debts? Didn't didn't he already forgive us? Didn't he already cancel the the debt of sin? Then then why are you teaching us, Jesus, here then to ask for forgiveness? Why are you teaching us to confess our sins? Hasn't Jesus already taken care of all of that? See, that should be the elephant 
running through your head? Because I know that was the elephant that was running through my head as I read this text. Because I'm I'm seeing this text and it's saying and it's looking like God, this is works based God. This seems conditional God. Why are you telling us this, Jesus, that in order for us to receive forgiveness from God, that I have to go and do this forgiveness to other people? Isn't Jesus enough? Didn't Jesus' death on the cross forgive all of my sins and I am eternally cleansed, like Hebrew, like the author of Hebrews says in in Hebrews ten fourteen? That I'm eternally cleansed, that I'm fully clean. Why are you teaching us, Jesus, then that we must go to the Father daily asking for forgiveness when we've already been forgiven? The reason that Jesus is bringing this text here in this way is when we are confessing our sins, we're not confessing our sins as a criminal to the judge, but we are confessing our sins as a child to a father. As a, as a child to a father, as a disobedient child to a father. And let me break it down to you like this. To you who are parents, imagine you have a teenager, a teenager who you love. You're sleeping in your bed and you happen to go upstairs in your teenager's room. And you look in your teenager's room and your teenager is not there. And the window's gone. You're worried, you're worried. Your teacher, ha- your, your teenager happens to have snuck out the house and went to a party while you were asleep, while you were sleeping. So you sit in the room waiting for your teenager, laying in your teenager's bed. Your teenager thinks they're getting away scot-free. So your teenager comes back home, opens the door and walks in and sees mom and dad sitting there on their bed waiting for her. Or him. Your teenager is scared. You get your teenager, you scold your teenager, you put your teenager on punishment, and if you're from the old school, your teenager probably getting something else happening to him. <laughs> and so you go to bed, your teenager goes to bed, and the next day, mom and dad are at the uh, dinner table, or breakfast table, eating their breakfast. Your teenager comes down. When your teenager come, comes down, They're creeping around. They don't want to make too much noise. They don't want to be too visible. Why? Because they know what they did. It's complete ice and chill in the air. Mom and dad are eating, but everybody know what's going on. So your teenager just tiptoeing around. Why is he doing it? He knows that there's something going on in the relationship between me and dad and mom. Yes, that teenager is still a child. He's still your child, but there's still, there's no peace in the relationship now. There's something going on in the relationship. Why? Because something has happened. Your teen has gone out and disobeyed you and and gone against your ways. And so as you walk around the house, things in the house are just not the same. They're not like they used to be. Why? Because there's something going on. There's some friction in the air. Why? Because that teenager has disobeyed. Now, that teenager is still your child regardless. He's always your child. She's always your child. But there's some friction going on in the air. And that's kind of what happens with us, with God, when we sin. Yes, because what Jesus has done, we are his eternal children. We are children of God. But when we go against our Lord, guess what? We grieve God's heart. When we go and we sin against God, we grieve God's heart. And our desire should be that the relationship will be like it was. That is why Paul tells the Ephesians 
In Ephesians 4.30, do not grieve the Holy Spirit, meaning you can grieve the Holy Spirit. You can sadden God's heart in, in the ways that we act and how we react. So he tells them, do not grieve the Spirit. We don't want to grieve God, so we want that relationship restored. So we are going back to our Lord. We are going back to our Lord, and we're asking for forgiveness. Why? Because I just want the relationship to be like it was. I, I know what I did was wrong. I know that I'm eternally your child, but I know I've grieved your heart in the way I responded to my neighbor. I know I've grieved your heart the way I responded to my wife or my children. God, I, I know that was not according to your will. I know I was not hallowing your name. And so, God, I just want to I want to be right. I I don't want that friction and that chill in the air. God, I, I want to be right. So I'm coming to you for forgiveness. Now, that's a criminal to a judge. Our enemy status has already been wiped away by the blood of Jesus. But I'm coming as a son to a father. Saying, God, I just want to make it right. I just want to make it right. And in the truthfulness of our wanting to be right with God. It's not just in our mouth, not just in our saying that I want to be right with God. It's, it, that's not how we measure, but the, the truthfulness of how we want to be right with God, Jesus shows us that it, it's shown in how we respond to others who have transgressed us. It's not just the, the words that we are saying. It's about how sincere we are in our actions and our willingness to forgive others. See, Jesus is really concerned about forgiveness. And that's what he is showing us here in this text. Look, Christ is so concerned about forgiveness. After he finishes this prayer, after the amen in verse 13, look what he jumps right back to in verse 14. What do you see here? He says, forgive. He says, for if you forgive others for their transgressions, your heavenly father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others, then your father will not forgive you. So right after he ends the prayer, he talks about forgiveness in, in 12, speaks on temptation in 13. And then right after he says amen to that prayer, he jumps right back to forgiveness again. He goes to an addendum. He says, there's more to say about forgiveness. So he jumps right back into forgiveness. Why? Because forgiveness matters. The point is that we ought to forgive others. That is the point that Jesus is hammering here. That is what he's showing us. We have to forgive others. And I know this is hard. Especially if you're going to make maybe some major traumatic event in your life. Maybe a husband that you love for years did you wrong or a wife that you love for years did you wrong. As I was typing this, I'm, I'm thinking about the woman who's been faithful to her husband for 10, 20 plus years and he goes and leaves her for a, a younger woman. I could just think of the scorn in her heart and the, the hatred and the, the, this, the betrayal. But Jesus still shows us that we have to be willing to forgive. And if you are not willing to forgive, and here's an inconvenient truth for some, if you are not willing to truly forgive, it may mean that you do not truly know the forgiveness of God through Christ and that you may not be one of his children. That's a hard truth. As I typed it, I'm like, God, but what about that woman where that husband did that? Or, or God, but what about that person that did that to this other person's kids? Or, or I'm thinking of all of these what-if scenarios, God, but I, I look at the text and it is what it is. If we are unwilling to forgive, then we truly may not know the forgiveness of God and we truly may not be one of his children. 
That's a hard statement, but that's scripture. And and the scripture that I'm truly basing it off of is this text that we're reading and also Matthew 18. Go with me there to Matthew chapter 18, verse 21. In Matthew 18, you have Peter coming to Jesus about how often we should forgive our brothers. And so then Jesus goes and describes to him a scenario where you have a servant who owes a whole bunch of money. He owes the equivalent of like millions and millions of dollars. I'm just trying to summarize it for you. And he he goes to his Lord. Matter of fact, I'll just read some of the text to you. And 24 says, here's the servant. It says, for this reason, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle account with his slave. When he had begun to settle them, one who owed him 10,000 talents was brought to him. But since he did not have the means to repay, the Lord commanded him to be sold along with his wife and children and all that he had and repayment to be made. So the slave, that's what he did. Look what he did. He fell down to the ground prostrated himself before him saying, I have patience with me. I will repay you everything. 27. And the Lord of that slave felt compassion and released him and forgave him the debt. 28. But that slave went out and found one of his fellow slaves who owed him a hundred denarii. So this guy owes millions of dollars to this one king. He sees another guy that only owes him the equivalent of like a thousand dollars. So you owe millions and millions of dollars in our days and times the money. And you see a guy who only owes you a a thousand bucks and now you're jamming him up. So it says, but so it says, but that slave went out and find the one of his fellow slaves who owed him a hundred denarii says he seized him and began to choke him. He's seizing him and he's choking him. My text says saying pay back what you owe. So his fellow slave fell to the ground and began to plead with him saying, have patience with me and I will repay you. But he was unwilling and went and threw him in prison until he should pay back what was owed. And just keep reading since we're going. So when his fellow slaves saw what had happened, they were deeply grieved and came and reported to their Lord all that had happened. Then summoning him, his Lord said to him, you wicked slave, I forgave you all the debt because you pleaded with me. He calls him wicked. Should you not also have had mercy on your fellow slave in the same way that I had mercy on you. And this Lord moved with anger and handed him over to the torturers. That's a strong word there. Until he should repay all that was owed him. Look at 35. He goes to key point. He says here, my heavenly father will also do the same to you. He's talking to Peter. He's talking to a disciple. My heavenly father will also do the same to you. If each of you does not forgive his brother, where from his heart. So we see that even though the person, even though the servant, he, he went to his master, he had the emotional appeal. He, he's crying out. He said, God, he, not God, but he said, please forgive me. Forgive me. I can't pay this debt. And so he, he's crying out. But we see that even though he had the emotions, his heart was not truly repentant. His heart was not truly sorrowful. He really didn't understand and know the forgiveness that was really coming his way. He said it with his lips, but his heart was far away. He did not really have forgiveness in his heart. He really was not craving the forgiveness. He was just thinking about himself. And so this text brings that out. 
And as I often read this text, I, I think about the times that I've been in ministry. I haven't been in ministry as long as Pastor Brian, but I've, I've been in ministry for a while. And what I will often see, especially at my old church when we had altar calls, you would have people come up to the altar and they'll be crying, boo-hooing, snot, everything just going down their face. And a week later, you would, wouldn't even see them again. You wouldn't even see him anymore. It was all emotion. And the pastor there, he had this saying. He would always say, let's wait and see once them tears dry up. Let's, let's, let's wait and see if them, them tears dry up. Let's, let's, let's wait and see if this is true forgiveness, if this is true repentance. See, what Jesus is showing us here in his teaching about the servant is that the forgiveness of God should drive us to forgiving others. Just like the mercy of God should drive us to being merciful. Because God has showed us forgiveness, we should be willing to show the forgiveness to others. And as God has showed us mercy, we should be willing to show mercy to others. I don't know if some of you remember when we were going through uh, the Beatitudes. And we looked at uh, Beatitude number five. When it says, uh, blessed are the merciful because they will receive mercy. Do you guys remember we were going through that? Blessed are the merciful. They will, they shall receive mercy. Now, you know, if you remember, as we're going through that text, we, we understand that nobody naturally in themselves is merciful, right? That's, that's not our natural inclination. We are not naturally merciful people. Yes, here and there we may do some merciful acts. But what the beatitude was describing was not an act, but they were describing a characteristic, a personality of a person. This was not just a one-time event, but mercy was who you are. And we looked at how mercy, a person becomes merciful after first seeing and encountering the mercy of God through Christ. And that is how the merciful become Merciful. They become merciful after understanding and knowing God's mercy. And God's mercy then moves them, them to be merciful. Now, our whole life, we, once you have come to see God's mercy, our whole life we realize that God has been merciful to us. But his mercy is nowhere more clear than his sending of his son, Jesus Christ, to die for us. That is the ultimate mercy symbol. It's Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the mercy of God. And as we see that mercy in Jesus, that mercy then drives us to show mercy to others. And see, that thought right there, that is the whole premise behind 2 Corinthians 3.18. I want to show you something. This is all time to forgiveness, so just stay with me. Go to 2 Corinthians 3.18. 2 Corinthians 3.18. As we see God's mercy in Christ, his mercy makes us merciful. As we know God's forgiveness in Christ, his forgiveness makes us merciful. And this is the premise and the thoughts behind 2 Corinthians 3.18. I want to show you that here. So look at 2 Corinthians 3.18. Look what the Apostle Paul says here. He says, but we all with unveiled face Beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same self image from the glory, from glory to glory, just as from the Lord, the spirit. So what is the apostle Paul saying here? He's saying like a mirror, if you look into a mirror, right? You're going to see your reflection. 
That's what he's saying here. He's saying, just like looking to a mirror, you're gonna, that mirror's gonna reflect back what it's looking at. And he says, when we look at the glory of God, it's like a mirror. As I look at the glory of God in Christ, as I look at the glory of God in the, the kindness of Christ, as I look at the glory of God in the mercy that is displayed through Christ, he said, as we begin to stare at that glory, that glory then reflects back on us and begins to transform us into that same image that we are staring at. So because Christ is merciful, as we see the glory of God, as we see the mercy of God in Christ, that mercy now begins to reflect back on us and transforms us into being merciful. As we see Christ as being kind and loving, as we stare at that glory, that glory now begins to reflect back on us and it then begins to transform us into being loving and kind. And so that's the same thing that we're seeing with our main text with forgiveness. As we come to know God's forgiveness through Christ, that glory should now begin to reflect and transform us to where now we are merciful just like Christ. See, we, we when we see the glory of God, it has to do something in you. It has to change you. When you see that you have been forgiven, you must forgive others. And that is how we become forgivers. We become forgivers because we have first encountered God's forgiveness through the gospel. And that is why we become forgiveness. Uh, and, sorry, that's why we give forgiveness. And this is the way that the apostle Paul taught the early church. He always had their forgiveness rooted in the forgiveness of Christ. That's so important. Their forgiveness was rooted in the forgiveness that comes to Christ. An example of that is Ephesians. Go with me to Ephesians. Ephesians 4.13. And watch, this is how the Apostle Paul teaches the church when it comes to forgiveness. Ephesians 4.32. Look how he encourages the church when it comes to forgiveness. Let's see where he roots their forgiveness. He says, be kind to one another, tender-hearted, Forgiven each other. Why? Just as God in Christ also has forgiven you. Do you see where he's rooting the forgiveness? He's rooted it in Christ. He's rooted it in God. He's saying, because God has forgiven you, you should now be forgiving others. He's rooting the forgiveness in Christ. That is why we show forgiveness, because we've been rooted in the forgiveness that has come to us through Jesus Christ. Let me give you another example. Colossians, Colossians 3.13. Colossians 3.13. See, look what he says here. He says, bearing with one another, look again, forgiving each other, whoever has a complaints against anyone, just as the Lord, what? Forgave you. So also should you. You see where he's constantly teaching the church when it comes to forgiveness. He's constantly rooting their forgiveness in the forgiveness that comes through Jesus. He roots it there. So he's saying that if we're going to forgive, I mean, if we've been forgiven, we have to forgive others. It's so important. We have to forgive others. See, God so cares about our horizontal people-to-people relationships. He cares about our social shalom. I said the word shalom. Shalom, right? We understand shalom as to mean peace, end of conflict. But the word shalom is a very, very nuanced word. 
There's shalom in your body. When you, when you know those days where you're just feeling all good, you have no sickness, no pain, you're feeling just perfect, you're ready to run a mile, you're having physical shalom in your body. Or there's, there's also the Jews, they had shalom in your mind. When you're totally at peace, you're not stressing out, that's, that's shalom in your mind. They also had, uh, uh, the traditional shalom, when there's no warfare going on, there's no national conflict with other countries. That's the general type of shalom that we're used to. But then there was this other type of shalom. It was the social shalom, that you are in peace and right relationships with the people that you are surrounded with, the people that you are encounter, the social shalom. And that's what Jesus is speaking us to, or, or bringing us to, even when we look at this text on prayer. He's showing us that he cares about the social shalom, the, the peace that you have, the forgiveness or the relationships that you have with the people right in front of you. It, it's so important that after he teaches us to pray for daily bread in, in, in the model prayer, he next goes to praying and asking for forgiveness with God so that you may forgive others as well. So he goes from full to forgiveness. He goes from full to forgiveness, forgiveness from God and also forgiveness with one another. That's right after bread. He's now going to say, hold on, if you're going to have a vertical relationship with me, that relationship has to play out with how you treat one another. So if you are coming to me for forgiveness, you must also be willing to forgive others. See, he's showing us that these horizontal relationships matter. And that your relationships with other people are is rooted in your vertical relationship with God. See, in our main text, I want to show you something. Go back to our main text. Matthew 6, verse 12. I'm going to show you something that Jesus is doing here. It just blew me away when I when I really peeped it. In verse 12, and in verse 14 and 15. Jesus, in these few verses, he is attacking and eliminating the old time religion of the status quo. Just in these two verses. See, the old time religion of the status quo allowed a person to neglect their horizontal relationships for vertical ones. You were allowed to neglect your horizontal relationships for vertical ones. Let me give an example of what I'm talking about. Look at Matthew 15. Matthew 15, verses 1 through 7. In this text here, Jesus is scolding the scribes and the Pharisees because the scribes and the Pharisees created a religion that would allow a person to neglect the financial care of their parents for an offering that they were going to give to God. And Jesus is saying, no, that is not right. You are transgressing God's word for your own commandments. Let me read you the text here. Look what he says in verse 3. Jesus says, why do you yourselves transgress the commandments of God for the sake of your tradition? For God said, honor your father and mother. And he who speaks evil of father and mother is to be put to death. But you say, whoever says to his father or mother, whatever I have that would help you, has been given to God. Do you see what's happening there? God says you must honor your father and mother. But the scribes and Pharisees has twisted it to where you didn't have to honor it. As long as you were giving it to God, it didn't matter what you did horizontally. They were just focused on the vertical. They weren't dealing with the people that were right in front of them. And that was the situation with the scribes and the Pharisees. And that is why Christ was often scolding them. 
Because they were so vertical-minded that they totally neglected the people right there in their face. They were, they were so sin, they were so focused on their own personal piety, their own personal holiness, that they didn't care for the people right around them in their neighborhood. And Christ is saying, no, that's not the commandment of my God. You, you have to care for your mother. You, you can't say, no, I can't help because I need to give this over here. You have this responsibility he's showing us here. You have to do this thing. And not only do we see it here, but we also see it back in Matthew 5. Do you remember when uh, the brother had a, uh, matter of fact, let's go here. Go back to Matthew 5. Matthew 5, verse 23 to 24. Tell me, do you see the horizontal, vertical explanation that we're seeing here? Look what the text says here. He says, therefore, if you are presenting your offering at the altar... And there remember that your brother has something against you. Look what he says. Leave your offering there before the altar and go and first be reconciled to your brother. Then come and present your offering. So he's saying if you're at the offering, if you're at the altar and you're preparing to give your offering, meaning you're focusing on the vertical, you're focusing on God, you're focusing on your own personal piety, you're there at the altar, you're going to sacrifice or give an offering to God. He says if you realize there's something going on in the horizontal, if there's a bad relationship, if there's an ought going on here, I want you to leave your offering here. First, go be reconciled, and then you can go do your vertical thing. See, see, he's showing that your horizontal relationships matter. Your vertical is rooted in your horizontal. Your horizontal is rooted in your vertical. It matters. That's what he's showing us here. It matters. That's why it matters that we forgive others. And that's why Christ ties our forgiveness with others, with our forgiveness to God. He, he doesn't want this old time, just religion of just being pious, just being about me and my own personal holies, my own personal salvation that doesn't affect the world around you. That, that's not what Christ is for. He said, no, you, your relationship with me has to spill over into your relationships with others and how you treat others. Ah, my brothers and sisters, we have to get that. That's so important. As we continue to pursue holiness, as we continue to pursue our relationship with the triune God, please allow for that to spill over in your relationships with others. Please allow for that to spill over in you showing mercy towards others, you being just towards others, you um uh sticking up for others. May that also go out in your horizontal. So we don't become like these scribes and Pharisees who were so focused on looking up that they didn't look around them. And I say that's, that's very important because we have a history of that here in America, especially here in America. If you remember America's apartheid area, apartheid area, during the 50s and 60s all the way up to the 70s, you had many pious individuals, many great theologians, that had a great vertical relationship with God, that had great doctrine, but that doctrine didn't spill over to care for the people right around them, especially people who were of a different ethnicity or color. They had the vertical, but that vertical didn't spill over into the horizontal. It didn't spill over to care for people from a different country or people that didn't look like them. They had the vertical, but that vertical didn't spill over. 
So I, I pray that as we are coming to God daily, bringing in our sin, asking for forgiveness, that as we come daily to God, that we remember those relationships, that we remember those people, and that we reconcile and be quick to get forgiveness because it matters. It matters here in this text. And that's why Jesus is bringing us to this text. See, this prayer, when you, when you read this prayer, it's such a weighty prayer. It's a weighty prayer because he says, forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. He wants us daily to come and bring our sins before him, confessing them. And, and to be frank, my first thought is, God, I, that's a downer. God, I don't want to have to think about my sins every day. But if I'm really, truly sincere about hallowing his name, if I'm truly sincere about uh, his kingdom come, if I'm truly sincere about his will be done, then I will want to go and confess my sins and make sure it's right with me and my Lord. And not only am I, am I not just dwelling on sin, I'm not just going and thinking on sin. If you just go and think on sin alone, it will lead you to depression and despair. But as we go and look at our sin and confess our sin, we also look to the cross and the gospel, understanding that Christ has paid it all. See, this, this text means that I'm going to look at the gospel every day because every day I'm coming and confessing my sins. I'm remembering what Jesus Christ has already done for me. This, this text brings you to the gospel every day, every time you pray it. Because anytime you focus on your sin, you have to, as a believer, as a disciple, also go to the gospel and remember what Jesus Christ has done. So this prayer, this verse leads you to the cross. As you cry out for forgiveness, forgiving others. And this verse also helps to give evidence of your true salvation. Because as I mentioned earlier, if you are not willing to forgive your brother or sister, then it may mean you do not know the forgiveness of God and you are not one of his. You got to ask yourself, when I read that text, can I forgive? That's one of the evidences. It's a forgiving heart. Can I forgive others who have transgressed to me? Can I forgive others who have done this wrong against me? Yes. Why? Because Christ has forgiven me. In the story of the servant, I'm the servant that owed millions. My sins was millions. How can I not forgive the one who owes a thousand? See, we are that. And guess what? You are that servant if you are not willing to forgive. If you are not willing to forgive, you are truly that servant because you are like that servant, not sincere in your repentance and you're crying out to God for forgiveness. See, forgiveness shows that we are truly his when we can do that. So Christ makes that clear. He makes it clear here in verse 12. And after he finishes the Lord's prayer, he jumps right back at it in 14 and 15, telling us to forgive others, forgive them their transgressions. If you want yours, you must forgive others. It has to be rooted in that. Christ cares about the horizontal and the vertical. Reconciliation with God and reconciliation with your fellow man, one another. That is the gospel. It's all of that, not just the vertical. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, God, we thank you for your truth, your scripture. We thank you for your word. Thank you for redeeming us, giving us life. 
God, thank you for inspiring uh, Matthew to write this word of what you said, reminding us that there is forgiveness, but that you want us to forgive others as well. Lord, thank you for showing us that this life is not just about me or we and ourselves, but that we have a responsibility to let our light shine in this world and infect all those around us. Oh, Lord God, help us to live off this life. Help us to forgive others as you have forgiven us. Help us to show mercy to others who we may feel that don't even deserve it, understanding that we didn't deserve mercy. Oh, God, may we see the gospel in all our decisions that we make for your namesake, decisions that are tough. May we remember what you did on the cross, Jesus. Thank you for your truth and your word. Lord, it's by your stripes we are healed and we stand. Receive our prayer, God. In your son Jesus' name, amen. Amen.